Hi everyone, my name is Essen and you're listening to episode 23 of the Brown History Podcast. Within the last week, a lot's been happening in Afghanistan. Actually, to be fair, a lot's been happening in Afghanistan for a very, very long time. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the Sikh and Hindu communities of Afghanistan. These communities have been in Afghanistan for a very long time. They've seen different governments and regimes and rulers come and go. There are barely any books that cover the history of Sikh and Hindu communities of Afghanistan. So it's very cool to have Inderjeet Singh as our guest on this episode. He is the author of the book, Afghan Hindus and Sikhs. It's a very informative book that not only covers the history of these communities, but it also aims to prove that these Sikh and Hindu communities are native to Afghanistan and should not be seen as outsiders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And before we start, if you want to help out, if you want to support, then just hit up brownstreetpodcast.com. It lets me know that you like this episode, that you like this podcast, and that you want me to keep going. Thanks for listening, and let's start with this episode. Here we go some point i need to tell give more details about i'll ask you some yes prompt me prompt yeah me. okay perfect so my first question i read your biography online and i know that you're you're not afghan sikh you're punjabi sikh yes so i'm curious to know how did your journey into this book began and how did you you know get interested into this topic i had started reading more about history more in depth getting into the original manuscripts, most Indian manuscripts, or even in the region, have been written in Farsi in the medieval ages ones. So right from to Iran to, I would say, to whatever we call is India and Bangladesh, everything was written in Farsi in those times. So I was reading those translations, and I was fascinated why Sindhi in Sindh in Pakistan, saying they are Hindu, they are Hindus, what seven to eight percent at one time prior to partition, they were about 25, 27 percent. They believe in Guru Nanak, they recite his compositions, but they don't keep beard or turban like me. And uh, although they are in the senses put as uh, Hindus, so why do they do that? Because they are quite substantial number in India as well, not in Punjab, in the other states in India. Uh, like uh, Maharashtra, uh, Madhya Pradesh. So the journey started with there. So because these Iran, when I started reading, reading medieval, if I say medieval, or let me specify, 18th century, 19th century travelers in this region, you had people with Sindh, Balochistan, Pakistan frontier province, and then Afghanistan, and at times Iran as well, like Charles Foster. Charles Foster travels from India in 1783 and goes from India till India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, sorry, uh, Afghanistan, Iran, and till he went to England. So he wrote his memories in there. So he mentions in Kabul and Peshawar, he meets, uh, he saw uh, Hindu shopkeepers over there. So, I knew that there's some history of it. And I'm talking about 2015, I realized that that Sikhs and Hindus in Afghanistan are facing problems as a minority and people don't believe that they are natives. Mm -hmm. The majority creates narrative, but also in this case, I think even they themselves didn't knew that, that they were natives or not because displaced people they already adapted about 2015 most of them 
had already left and they were living in India or abroad. So I inquired. I was a very reluctant writer. I got in touch in the forensics who are about more than 10,000, perhaps, probably more than 10,000 live in London. And I asked them, is anybody writing on Afghan Sikhs? And there's a number of people are writing on Afghan Sikhs, but they were all writing on how they are finding their steps in a foreign country, how they are settling in a foreign country, how they're finding different. Now, nobody was looking into the history of it. So when I thought about it, uh, I realized that nobody's writing. I said, okay, I need to do something. Like my elders came from Lahore and Lelpur. Yes, there is some history, but Nobody has written anything. Nobody has written anything about Hindus and Sikhs in Balochistan, Hindus and Sikhs in the frontier province, or uh, Sikhs in uh, Iran, Tehran as well, Zedan and Tehran as well. So we haven't written anything on them. So I prayed, being uh, from a background of such, you show me the way, asked Almighty. And then it started, the journey began, and I started writing. And eventually, I number of uh, accounts written by Europeans, written by uh, medieval travelers. Many of them were Muslims as well. And I started my book from the 11th century because till I would say 983 common era, the Eastern Afghanistan, which is Kabul, the neighboring province Lagman, Paktia, uh, Nangahar, Jalalabad areas, all this area was part of the Hindu Shahi dynasty, as they are called. That's where uh, Hinduism first reached in that area in Afghanistan is when Hinduism first reached? No, I wouldn't say that because we get number of uh, in the 1960s and 70s, number of excavations were made in Afghanistan, and we had idols of Shiva, uh, goddess Durga, yeah, and and Shiva's family, like Ganesh, uh, who's considered as a son. There are statues which are the Ganesh statue, which is forms, which is on my book cover, is about 645 AD good 300 years before the Hindu Shai dynasty. The other idols found Amu, likely from the Kushan era. So the Kanishka. So you're looking at about 100, 120 to 180 AD, common era. So Hinduism at least goes back at least 2000 years. And also that interestingly, Hyunsang, or sometimes pronounced as Jungzang, the medieval the, the traveler who came from China to India, when he reaches Jalalabad in the eastern Afghanistan, in the Nanghar province, he he writes that he has reached Hindustan. The boundaries of a nation changes with time, and the the way we know today is more of a modern thing, is more of a 20th century. As you would know in the world wars, number of countries change their boundaries. So Hinduism is, is definitely as old as 2000 years in uh, Afghanistan. 
but it could be further than that mm-hmm. uh, because the hindu old scriptures like uh, the mahabharata talks about gandhara which gandhara was a area in northwestern pakistan and parts of afghanistan they known for its buddhist eras uh, statues monasteries stupas interestingly they also mention cambodia cambodia another kingdom which is definitely in afghanistan we can't say for certainly the were they were hindu majority at that time or not we're talking about more than 2500 or 3000 years but clearly there were some people living in there so what happened to hindus and sikhs sikhs obviously came with guru nanak in the 16th century sikhism came in the 16th century 16th century yeah guru nanak went to afghanistan in 1521 15 twenty twenty one, so that's the period. So, so hence it is. I'm saying history of a thousand years. Uh, Afghan Hindus and Sikhs, a history of a thousand years, starting from the 10th century after Hindu Shai dynasty was replaced by the Ghaznavid. Uh, Mahmud Ghaznavi is uh, a very well famous uh, ruler. Uh, so I start the journey from there. Let's let's go into Sikhism. Uh, you mentioned that Sikh, Guru Nanak went to Afghanistan in the 16th century. What was he doing there? Guru Nanak was a vivid traveler. So he went to he traveled throughout India, the undivided India, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. He went to Sri Lanka. He went to Tibet. He went to Afghanistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. These are based on the earliest janamsakhis the other janamsakhis manuscripts also talk about some other countries but they were written 100 or 200 years later so but i have considered with the older ones so it is you can say he ha- he has dialogues with the religious people in uh, baghdad in uh, in uh, makka yeah in um, in when he went to shillon so we have somebody who is a vivid traveler there are documents written on in gurmukhi plus you have gurdwaras which commemorate his arrival in afghanistan there is a gurdwara near jalalabad which is in sultanpur gurdwara in jalalabad as well there is a place in sultanpur uh where guru nanak visited and there's a spring dedicated that he he caused that spring when charles foster passed through afghanistan in 1783 he writes in his memories in travelog that sultanpur is known for its famous place related to baba nanak so what in 1783 so clearly then in uh, 1824 mohanlal a kashmiri who goes with to afghanistan with alexander dumas uh no forgotten his last name basically it was is a spy mission with uh, english office with english officer okay uh he mentions a mandir a hindu temple in jalalabad so it's still there so you can join the some dots yeah and obviously because i knew gurmukhi i did manage to uh translate the relevant bits 
There was an emir of Afghanistan who divided his people and, and, and separated them and persecuted the Hazaras people. How was his treatment against the Afghan Hindus and Sikhs? That's very interesting. I am thinking you, you are talking about... Abdul Rahman. Uh, Abdul Rahman, yeah. Yeah. He was a very vicious uh, leader and he really separate. He was really, you know, divide and conquer was his thing. Abdul Rahman is known as the modern founder of Afghanistan by, there's a famous uh, book by American historian. It's called Afghanistan. Um, and he called it. With Abdul Rahman, the thing was that he, in his translated uh, autobiography, he writes that every chief and every tribal leader in Afghanistan consider himself as a king. So he wants to change that. And the way things were, the Hazaras, who were Shias, Hazaras, people can easily in Afghanistan make out that this person is Zara by, by their facial features. Yeah. Yes, because they're small eyes, um, Mongol kind of facial features. So you can easily, just like a sick person, you can find out from the turban and beard is a sick. With Abdul Rahman, Hazaras had at that time what they called Hazarajat. So they had a big area which they were ruling. And and the Hazaras would not get suppressed. So they so here was an imperial conqueror trying to, in his regime on his, his understanding or that he's going to integrate everybody. He was attacking. Hazaras, on the other hand, were defending their motherland or fatherland, whatever you will call. And unlike others, the Hazaras kept on coming back. And the more they came back, the more vicious Abdul Rahman became. Well, how did he treat the Sikh and Hindu community? There were some restrictions on them. At that time, they didn't have any region for them. They were a very small community. The maximum figure given is 5 lakh, 500,000. Even that, I sometimes feel is exaggerated. Uh, 500,000 in Afghanistan, 1970s. That's a lot. 500,000 is a lot, but you are spread all over the country. So you're not... You are not concentrated in any area. You are in his imperial ambitions. You are not an obstacle. But okay. still, but still, what happened was he did put, he did put some restrictions, what some restrictions kind of rest- on them. What kind? Uh, restrictions was more about, and I still have to research more on it. That he basically encouraged people. He put things like that: if a Hindu converts, he gets to Islam. He gets so much money. If a Sikh converts, is so much money. And within that, the so-called upper caste would get more money, lower caste would get less money. He oh, had wow. a Hindu commerce minister in the later part of the years to do, but it was very common for the local chiefs to have a Hindu or a Sikh accountants to do the admin work, to, their, to do their uh, administrative written work. So it was very common. So he also had it. So he was not as harsh with Sikhs as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I remember correctly, for one of the mandars in Kabul, which was being rebuilt, 
he sent the palkalin for the idol these people paid jazia which was a good source of income right and Not they a- were uh, relatively rich people unlike khazara he didn't totally persecuted them but they were restrict restrictions on them what would you say was the peak time for the sikh and hindu community in afghanistan i would say the good period or the peak period was the few years during amanullah khan amir amanullah khan was the amir from 1990 to 1929 19 okay and, yes 10 years he during his tenure it was the first time that sikh vesakhi a major sikh festival was celebrated in the capital city the government official took part in it government officials encouraged it and that happened throughout amanullah khan's period so that was a very good beginning amanullah khan when he came back in 1928 from 7 years in seven months in europe he decided in his wisdom to ban the burqa i'm talking about 1928 mm-hmm. which started a the opponents he was declared a kafir and he had basically left the country without fighting although i think his role model was atatürk of uh, turkey but obviously he didn't uh, foresee the changes his one of his changes also affected six badly indirectly when he came in 25 26 he he said anybody who in afghanistan in those time they used to call the grand assembly loe jirga mm-hmm. so all the tribal chiefs would come and sikhs and hindus would also go so there were two sikhs prominent sikhs he told in 1922 uh, 23 the next time when it is held everybody should wear suit nobody should come in traditional dress and nobody should wear a turban which was very common at that time among the muslims as well local muslims So when Loyajar Gaff 1925 was there, he saw only two people wearing turban, but wearing suits, and and they also were those were both Sikhs. They they resigned and said, "Well, we have gone. We have no problem with the clothes you asked, but I cannot leave my religion and because I'm wearing a turban because I belong here." as told by commanded by my prophet wow. and they resigned and uh, so although his actions were not directed towards six right basically it indirectly affected them just like in france they decided yeah they no they basically didn't wanted the muslim girls to wear that was, hijab that was that was direct that was indirect yeah did i hold direct indirectly it affected six because they said no religious symbols so amanullah khan reduced jazia by 50% as well mm-hmm. he modernized he sent girl students abroad to study his wife was the first woman who removed burqa hijab so but then in the late 1950s zahir shah the last emperor he totally removed jazia in like 1960s sikhs and hindus of afghanistan started going into more education and they were sikhs were allowed to be in the army 
in the as Afghanistan well. army. In the Afghan army as well. Wow. So, so they also had a compulsory army system where they would be, uh, everybody had to do a two years of army uh, service. And, and Sikh, because of the martial tradition, they used to proudly wear it. And they were allowed to wear, after two years of service, even if they left the army, they were allowed to wear uh, army uniform on special occasions. So one of the things was on the Vasakhi or then their own festivals, uh, they were allowed by the government and they used to very proudly wear them. Then his successor, Daud Khan, Daud Muhammad Khan. Daud Khan, he was also very liberal and a lot of uh, liberties were given to, basically they were impartial, like what you would classify things in the Western world. They were they were at par at those times. Yes, people, some people were religious, but this was confined to the bigger cities. More Kabul. Kabul was a very modern city at that time. Other cities were, uh, and smaller cities were always more conservative. This was the 70s. So, yes, 1970s. Muhammad Daud Khan was assassinated in April 1978, yeah. which had by the communist government not the communist government, the communist party of Afghanistan. And they had a prime minister, a president who was them, him, him, he was killed. And which led to the Russians coming over in the country in December, 1979. So, yeah. So things, I don't know if you want me to continue how the things got bad and how they left. Yeah, but so That was my next question. When, when did it start getting bad for the Sikh and Hindu community? When did they start? People started leaving. In December 1979, the Russians invaded the country, and a wave of patriotism gripped Afghanistan. So people, many educated one, the movement started from Kandahar. So Kandahar had a a, a reasonable big population, the greater Kandahar, I can say, Kandahar city, the Kandahar province, and the uh, the provinces were in 1960s, the provinces were uh, subdivided and more provinces were added. But if you add the older Kandahar, which also included Helmand and the neighboring province of Helmand and Rosgan, they also had Hindu Sikh population. So a movement started with there. Initially, like with all movements, you had dedicated people, Hindu Sikh also helping them as well, with time, anti-social elements started coming. So obviously the Pakistan and the NATOs were supporting them. So people who were on the wrong side of the law would leave Afghanistan and go to Pakistan. Pakistan people who were on the wrong side of the law would go there. The nationalism mean, meant also propaganda against Russians. Russians meant in, unfortunately, in, in Afghanistan, the, in the, the Hindus and the Sikhs were never considered natives. They were all considered to be Indians, oh. outsiders, in, especially Indians. They're considered Indians, outsiders, who came in, some says, in 18th century or 19th century. That's not true. Anyway, uh, and because India and Russia had very good relation, and Pakistan and America had very good relation at the time. So Cold War era, we're talking about Cold War era. Yeah. So, so by the time in the mid 80s, 85, 85, 
things got started bad for them. Houses were looted in Kandahar and everything. So these people left. So some of them in the mid 80s left the country. Some left the country and came to Jalalabad, Ghazni. And by 87, 88, I think if I'm right, in 88, this, uh, April 88 in Jalalabad, uh, there was attack on a Sikh Gurdwara on Vasakhi on 13th April. The 14 Sikhs were killed, but four Muslim soldiers of the Ghan army were also killed by that uh, militant. Then one thing, other thing happened was in Jalalabad, the Mujahideen. So what you have in 89, end of 89, the Russians left. They left the country. In 1989, the, the Mujahideens were on outskirts of Jalalabad city and they started bombing the city. The local chief of uh, Jalalabad, or rather than the, I would, I can't remember his correct, was he the mayor or was the, the governor of Nangahar? He got into some sort of agreement with the Mujahideen that you, that we are happy to be under your regime. Don't bomb us. I said, no, 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 no. You are still part of the government. I have to bomb the somewhere. So he told them, this is the area in Jalalabad where Hindu Sikhs live. You bomb here. So you had a number of about 100 or something Hindu Sikhs dying in, in 1989. These guys from Jalalabad went to Kabul. So you had people from Kandahar, big, Greater Kandahar, all leaving that place, going to north cities of like Ghazni, Jalalabad. So they didn't leave the country. Kabul. They just went to... They didn't leave the country. They Because at that time, Dr. Najibullah was at the helm of affairs or Russians. They wanted to show that everything is fine. So that meant that they had told the Indian embassy in Kabul that just give three or four visas in a day, four or five visas in a day. Uh, and so they left the country. So eventually these guys went in Kabul and in Kabul, just like this time around in Taliban, the Russians that have left, Dr. Najibullah, the, in 1992, decided, okay, it's a matter of time now. These people will come to Mujahideen, would come into Kabul. So he issued, he asked uh, his government official to issue them with all of them with the, a, a speedy visa. So everybody, a Hindu Sikh, on one passport, four, four, five, five visas were given so that you can go if you want to India and, and uh, if things go really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 1992, we have Russians gone for about two years now. Mujahideen came over to the Kabul city and there was an agreement with the local journal, army journal uh, of the government of, of uh, Afghanistan and the Mujahideen leaders. And nothing happened for two weeks. Everybody was happy in the sense that, okay, Mujahideen are here, Russians are gone and it's peace. But mm -hmm. then Gulbuddin Hikmatyar, one of the Mujahideen leaders, he came to came back to Kabul from I think from 
somewhere in Afghanistan. And we're talking about around about May, April, May 1992. And he asked it for his share in the government. And he noticed down the Amir Shah Masood, who was a Tajik, and uh, an Uzbek Dustum, Major Dustum or General Dustum, uh, who was an Uzbek, they are basically ruling Kabul city. With Russians gone, with Indiba gone, unfortunately, you have the power struggle. Where is my share? And they didn't give him the share. So, and here the problem lied, and he started bombing Kabul. Gulbun Hikmatyar Pashtun started bombing Kabul. A major part of Kabul was devastated during this period. Sikh and Hindus lived in, in uh, Shor Bazar area, which is central Kabul. Their Gurdwara, Guru Hararai, Gurdwara Guru Hararai Sahib was the biggest and strongest structure in the area. Amr Shah Masood took refuge in it and made it basically made his, his camp. Because rockets were coming on daily basis, Sikh and Hindus started leaving the city and their places. And the Tajiks or the government officials who were there to protect the city, they started looting them because it was considered to be worthy to loot a kafir. Mm. So some people sold their properties at half rate, one third rate, went in one circumstances, they paid the money in the morning, in the evening, they looted the same person. So basically wow. he didn't get anything. I mean, in one circumstance, he was even killed. So things were very bad. So you have from 1992 to 1994, within, within a period of two years or 18 months, 50,000 Hindus and Sikh left. And those who decided not to leave, like about 10,000 of them probably never didn't left at that point. When this all fighting stopped, when they went to their homes, there was no home because they were occupied by the powerful warlords or neighbors. So for them, the Gurdwaras of Kabul became their home. So Gurdwaras were big. So traditionally, a Sikh Gurdwara would also have a facility for people to live overnight. So that they, they were good, huge Gurdwaras. They are still huge Gurdwaras. They had dispensaries. They had a primary school attached to them. They had food is always served. It's a congregation eating. So they became that home. So those problems, and this is very vital to understand, those people who lost at homes in, and this a similar kind of thing happened in like in Jalalabad. In Jalalabad, the Sikhs were the shopkeepers in a number of places. They had paid a huge amount of money running into two lakhs, three lakhs, and they were given uh, lifetime lease as long as they paid the rent. Mm -hmm. When the Mujahideen came over, they said, well, this is not admissible in Islam. And, and you are giving this thing to Kafirs. They took away the leases, didn't pay the money Sikh had paid and sold it to somebody else. 
So suddenly you became in those places because the smaller places, they also had agriculture land. Again, that was illegally grabbed. In those places, the houses were not grabbed. Small towns, houses didn't have much value. So yeah. if you appreciate, isn't it? Uh, they, they, had, they, they were not considered to be a vital part of the property. So, so when these kind of things happen, so you had a number of people living. living. So, so the, when the Taliban came in 1996, by that time, you already had problems that Sikhs are living. Majority of the Hindus had already left. So I'm talking about, so only Sikhs were about 10,000, Hindus were about 2,000. And by the time Taliban left in 2001, which I will touch in a few moments with Taliban, in 2001, the Taliban left, the number had gone down to 3,000 and about 250 Hindus. So when the Taliban came over, the Sikh and Hindus, in addition to not having housing, they had a problem of bullying in the schools. So in the regime, which was with the Zahir Shah, and uh, Daud Khan and Ajibullah. Yeah, six boys were troubled by their fellow Muslim Afghans outside the school. Nothing in the school, but that can happen probably among the boys. You, you know, they, something happens. And these used to happen. But after they had left and the massive propaganda against them and the radicalization of number of people meant that Six students were bullied. So ultimately they left, they, they went without schooling. So you would not have any, hardly anybody after 1992 who is a school graduate, who has a school living certificate. That problem never got resolved. The housing problem never got resolved. So coming back to now, to 1996 in Taliban. Interestingly, with, with Taliban at the helm of the fairs, they didn't, Six were very small. So they, they were just in Kabul, and Jalalabad, Ghazni, and very few in Kandahar. Uh, yeah. And uh, for the, they remained in power from 1996 to 2001. Till 2001, they didn't Sikh page, Sikh Hindu page, Jazia. They left them alone. In 2001, they decided that they need to identify the Sikh and Hindus. So Sikh told them, we have a kada, we have a turban, we have a beard. Mm-hmm. To ultimately, they agreed, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. With the Hindus, they said, and the Sikhs initially, they said, both of them, you should have a yellow color on your uh, clothing so that we can identify. Because they used to force people to go to namaz every day at namaz time. So they had their reasons. But also they asked them to put a yellow flag on their houses, which Sikh and Hindu rejected. So they had some negotiation. So Sikh, the way I would say, Sikh and Hindu found a way to live during Taliban region. But their problems had already started in 1992 anyway, with, with, uh, with the change of regime. Mm-hmm. So when the democratic, when Taliban were toppled in 2002, sorry, 2001, end of 2001, but then, and then when the democratic government came, then these things started to come out. The bullying, 
non-education. So over those years, a primary school in Ghazni, Jalalabad, and Kabul was set up, a primary school for Sikhs and Hindus by foreign agencies, in addition with, uh, uh, in, in, with the help of Afghan community, sorry, Afghan government. But after there was no provision for schooling after primary school, so no problem was there. And if by the time Taliban left, the number of the Sikhs and Hindus were just 3,000. So you have from 70,000, 1 lakh 70,000, or it became 10,000. Now we're looking at 2002, about 3,000 have left. In the next 20 years, these problems didn't got resolved. Also, as they go along, people would offer them politely, which is not offensive, which is fine, to join Islam. But then when it becomes um, rather than persuasion, it becomes order, it becomes problematic. So you had those problems. And in 2018, then they had those bomb blasts in a in a rally uh, which Sikh and Hindus had gone. By this time, Sikh and Hindus, they had received a lot of media attention. So they had been collecting papers, property papers of those who were living there in Kabul, Jalalabad, Ghazni, that please our former homes should be restored. So they had gone to attend a meeting with Jalalabad with the uh, President Afshar Ghani, who was doing an election campaign. So bomb blast came and happened. 15 uh, Sikhs and four Hindus were killed in that one. It was a big shock. So big shock to them. So in between, I forgot to tell you that when the new, when the democracy came about, five, 10 families came back from Delhi to Kabul. Mm-hmm. After the bomb blast, Five, ten families went back. But the major thing that happened was this this bomb blast was we were told that ISIS had done this. ISIS admitted Daesh. They started they then there was another bomb blast, or rather non bomb. There was attack in Shore Bazaar, the same Gurdwara, which was with Amacha Masood had taken Gurdwara Guru Harrahai Sahib in Shore Bazaar. The ISIS militants killed the Muslim uh, security guard outside and went inside and killed 25 Sikhs, including children and women. So somebody comes to your house and kills you there. It had a good, it had a major psychological effect on the Sikhs. And then 400 of them left. So by this time, they were about 650 to 706 and bus for 50 Hindus. And 400 of them left the country in August 2020. This attack happened in March 2020. And now, because Taliban has come over, they, the local Sikh says that they are not based on what happened in the previous Taliban regime. Mm-hmm. And if I take one step back, people in India thought the attack was just because you're a minority. Then I made a big list of, I took one week. I dotted about 
15 to 20, 25 attacks with date, place, number of people killed. The Hazara Shias who have been killed. And I put it on the Facebook. And at that time, my people of India and who are joined with me realized that, no, this is not a isolated problem for the Sikh Hindus. A bigger, the Hazara Shias faced it on a regular monthly basis. Their mosques, their school, their tuition center, even their maternity ward have been attacked. And the worst thing is nobody talks about it. So at the moment, the Sikhs and Hindus are only 276, all from Jalalabad and Ghazni have come to Kabul. They are sitting in a Gurdwara, the major Gurdwara uh, in Kate Pravan area of Kabul. They are 270 of them. They have appealed Indian government to get them out. They say they, they don't have any issues or problems with the Taliban, but the two attacks happened during the democratic regime by Daesh or ISIS, they are, they are not sure that if Taliban will be able to control those extremist elements. And if I'm right, Taliban's own record against Hazara is not very good either. No. Yeah. So they, they, what they have decided is they will leave the country. Obviously, India has now closed its consulates so somebody has to send a special plane to get them. And 10 people will, they will put a caretaker in the each Gurdwara and they will leave. That's, that's the, where we are at the moment. That's the final, that's the end, almost the the end of this community. Just you know, <sighs> sadly, sadly. Sadly. They, in those times, in like this 18th century or 19th century, yes, they were... They were like second-class citizens, but they also held because they were, there were many of them were merchants. They had money, they had influence. So, and they were pragmatic. Those people were more pragmatic. They, although they, at times they used the religion sometimes to, uh, get people together, their own people together. But they did recognize that these minorities played a, a essential part in our society, in the economy. So although they were not modern educated, they had that sense. Unfortunately, that sense seems to be missing in, in today's era in Afghanistan. And uh, I just pray peace returns to Afghanistan. There's a lot of potential. And I wrote on my Facebook page, Taliban can, should use their good offices with Pakistan and get the Durand line problem resolved. That is the root cause of the all problem in the region. But guess what? Neither my Pakistani nor my Afghan friends like that comment because both of them believe that the other austerity is mine. So you can't move on, whatever. And yes, you can blame British was all gone. They were in those countries. They did a lot of mess. But it has been 75 years since they left. The onus is on the region. People to basically don't interfere in other countries. Don't. Whatever you, you country you have, try to make uh, progress with it. 
and uh, for the betterment of your own people and mankind. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and all the honor. Thank you. Let me know when you finish your other book. I would love to Uh, read it. Yeah, it could be next year, but I haven't started it. It could be.